Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Oregon Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley is one of the many Democrats promising a tough confirmation fight for President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. With this nomination, the president is trying to deal himself a get-out-of-jail-free card. He's chosen someone who sees no limit to presidential power. He doesn't believe that the president should be investigated when in office, which is clearly completely outside of the mainstream of America. Joining me is Miguel Estrada, a partner at Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher. He's a former federal prosecutor and clerk to Justice Anthony Kennedy. His nomination to the D.C. Circuit Court by President George W. Bush was blocked by a filibuster by Democrats. Welcome to the show, Miguel. Well, thank you for having me. Will you explain how a judicial nominee is prepared for confirmation hearings? Do they take him through days of mock questioning? What, What happens? Well, that depends on the court and the nominee. Um, you know, for district courts and courts of appeals and the Supreme Court, you have different processes. But generally, you expect the senators to ask a range of questions. For court of appeals and for the Supreme Court, you would expect uh, the lawyers of the Department of Justice to have some sessions with the nominee, uh, during which the nominee will be asked some sort of uh, uh a series of mock questions um, that are intended to replicate the types of questions that he will he or she will be asked uh, during the actual hearings, um, sort of practice sessions. And obviously, we have all seen a number of confirmation hearings in the recent past, um, and I think we all have a reasonably good idea of the types of questions that senators of both parties are likely to ask sort of Supreme Court nominees. So. Supreme Court nominees have been successful, it seems, in not answering the questions that senators pose. Neil Gorsuch, who obviously made it to the Supreme Court, refused to say how he would rule on a range of issues from abortion to gun rights. Is there any way to put Kavanaugh in a position where he would have to answer or face looking untrustworthy, perhaps? Well, I think that there is sort of a larger issue here. You are asking people to become judges on questions that will come in front of courts, and you can't really anticipate the full range of questions that will come in front of the court. You do not like people to go on courts having already seemed to have promised a particular outcome to senators during a hearing. And... uh, 
nominees of both parties have been very careful to answer very little specifics for that reason. Um, that doesn't really go as far back as Justice Gorsuch. Um, if you go back to 1993 with uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, she was very clear at the outset that she could not give any hint uh, or any clue as to how she might answer questions with respect to issues that would come in front of her as a justice. Um, so this is something that has been going on for decades now with respect to people who go on the Supreme Court, especially because those people are likely to hear pretty much any issue uh, that comes in front of our courts. Um, and you don't want people later claiming that as a result of an exchange that the now justice had with a senator, they cannot sit on the case. And so, yes, there is a natural inclination for people to know a lot about how judges will rule. Um, but the more you ask uh, and the more you try to get into the specifics, the more you decide able justices later to do the job that they're being confirmed to do. So in this case, we have a Supreme Court nominee who was vetted by the Federalist Society, which is a very conservative group. And I assume a lot of that was based on his decisions, the 300 plus decisions that he's written. So is that what senators should really take as the way the justice is going to rule in the future? Look at what how he's ruled in the past. Well, I mean, you have to understand as well with him, with Justice Gorsuch, um, with Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who had also been a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals like Judge Kavanaugh, um, there's a little bit of a difference between how judges rule as a lower court judge when they are bound by Supreme Court authority and they might, how they might rule in the Supreme Court when they uh, essentially are not. Um, but I think you can get a lot um, out of the lower court rulings, how they, how they approach legal problems, questions of methodology, how they think. Um, and obviously, somebody who has a, reach, a rich track record of opinion writing gives a lot of material to senators of both parties to learn how they think and how they come to solving legal problems. So it's not so much that they that those cases tell senators exactly how the judge will rule in future cases, because in some of those cases, the judge may have been bound by Supreme Court authority. Um, but it does, uh, you know, that body of work does tell, uh, you know, the senators how the nominee thinks and how it sol- how he solves legal problems. So is, in your opinion, is Judge Kavanaugh a reliable conservative vote? Well, I think he is a conservative vote, um, but this is a question, of course, um, that has a different meaning to to members of different parties. Um, I am a member of the Republican Party. I have I I think that you know the judge is a very good pick for a Republican president. Um, he is brilliant and distinguished and hardworking, um, has a great work ethic, and I think he will be a great justice on the Supreme Court. Um, that is not to say. Um, that he will be the favorite pick of a member of the Democratic Party, um, or that he will be an extreme right uh, uh, pick. Um, You will have noticed, no doubt, that in the eve of his nomination by the president, there were 
members of right-wing groups who were urging the president not to nominate Judge Kavanaugh on the theory that he was not a reliable conservative. So Judge Kavanaugh is in the odd situation of having had people on the right um, urging the president not to nominate him on the theory that he was not sufficiently conservative. And now, just a few days later, having you know members of the Democratic Party uh, charging that the president has essentially uh, name somebody who's too conservative. Um, in fact, he is, you know, a uh, centrist conservative jurist who is a very distinguished lawyer. But is he conservative? Of course he's conservative. He's the nominee of a Republican president for a vacant seat in the Supreme Court. It, only about a minute here. From a personal note, can you explain what it's like to, to face that hostile questioning in public? Is it as painful as it looks or, or do you become inured to it? Well, I don't know. It's been a long time since I did that. Um, and I consider that ancient history as far as uh, my own experience is concerned. Um, I I would think it's worth for members of the candidate's family. Um, you know, the nominee is there to answer questions. And uh, it is true that there are some members of the Senate who are not always on their best behavior and can be unpleasant. Um, that, I think, you know, reflects more poorly on them than on the nominee. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, the American people will make a judgment as to whether, you know, the quality of the responses and of the track record of the nominee is one deserving of confirmation. Thank you so I much, Miguel. We, that we've run be- out of time. Yeah. I wish we could talk longer. That's Miguel Estrada. He's a partner at Gibson Dunn and President Trump announced his pick of a Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh last night. For the last 12 years, he has served as a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals with great distinction, authoring over 300 opinions which have been widely admired for their skill, insight, and rigorous adherence to the law. My guest is Harold Kent, dean of the Chicago Kent College of Law and author of the book Presidential Powers. Harold, Trump chose a Washington insider with an Ivy League pedigree, a paper trail of judicial opinions. Was it a smart choice? I think it was a smart choice for President Trump, possibly one um, warning sign, because he's clearly bright. He has friends on both sides of the political aisle, and but he's also a true conservative and will write the kinds of opinions that the Trump administration would want him to write. What warning sign do you see? If I were the Democrats, I think I would pick not on Roe versus Wade, it's the way the commentary is shaping up right now, um, but I would think that he's most vulnerable because of his prior defense of presidents and, and his call to immunize them from any kind of investigations while in office. And we could, the Democrats might be able to seize on that as to suggest that we don't want a justice at this time who has come on the record to the extent that he has in terms of trying to immunize the president to a certain extent from any kind of legal process while he's in office. Is that balanced out by the fact that he worked with Ken Starr when he was independent counsel on President Bill Clinton's impeachment? Well, what, what it seems like is he is willing to defend uh, Republican presidents, perhaps more than Democratic presidents. But I think his writing since that time, again, has cast doubt on his 
his willingness to support a vigorous investigation to the president. Um, and I have some sympathy, a partial sympathy for his, his opinion, um, but nonetheless, I think that that is a vulnerability that the Democrats could seize upon to suggest that this is not the right time to have a justice like that in the office. But again, in terms of his record on the D.C. Circuit, um, he is a true conservative, and particularly he's anti-regulation, he's pro-employers, um, and he's probably in favor uh, of limiting some of the sort of social, social issues. Uh, so I think he's a good choice from that perspective for the Trump administration. Are legal experts right in concluding that putting him on the court will make this Supreme Court the most conservative and ideologically divided court in modern history? I wouldn't say necessarily the most, but certainly the appointment will push the court to the right. Um, he's replacing Justice Kennedy, and now the median will shift to Chief Justice Roberts, um, who is, a, again, a very conservative justice, but he will be more to the middle on some issues anyway, and has demonstrated that he would be in comparison um, to Kavanaugh. The other thing that I think that uh, pundits have not mentioned is this will affect the choice of which cases the court may accept, because it just takes four votes to for the court to, to, t- to take a case, accept a case, and given his interest in a deregulatory move and given his interest in a strong president, we should see a different kind of shape of the, of the cases that are accepted by the court for review. Harold, have we passed the time with all the, you know, the rigorous vetting that's done of these nominees? Have we passed the time when a justice might drift to the other side, whether, you know, for the conservative toward the liberal side or a liberal toward the conservative side? Or they, do they all stay in their lanes now? <laughs> That's a great question. Obviously, people talk about the Souter effect because it was Justice Souter's appointment um, that triggered this whole inquiry because he became more liberal with time. And that's, I think, the factor that it's hard to predict. Yes, it's true that we have a track record for Justice um, Kavanaugh, but there are other factors that may affect him over time, certainly not in the first year. Um, and Gorsuch, for instance, was predictable. Um, but maybe in three years, in 10 years, somebody like a Justice Gorsuch or a Justice Kavanaugh can react to circumstances and uh, moderate to, to a certain extent with time. Certainly, as you, as you put it nicely, we expect justices to stay in their lanes more than they used to because we just know so much more about them and, and they've been vetted so much more strongly. It doesn't seem like many people are bringing up the fact that Kavanaugh's nomination to the D.C. Circuit by President George W. Bush was held up for three years by Democrats, who argued that he was too partisan then. And now he has this record of opinions that he's written. But has has the Senate changed so much that that won't make a difference? I don't think that'll make as uh, as much difference because of the passage of time. And he's you know served on the court for about 12 years. Um, and that means that at least... You know, in terms of his tone of his opinions, in terms of uh, we can we can judge them, and the Democrats can assess that as well. Because before he was viewed more as someone who was involved in all of the Republican, you know, high controversy cases from the Bush versus Gore ballot counting to the Vince Foster suicide to the impeachment. And since that time, of course, he's more viewed as more measured because he has served as a, a, a judge. So I think that the fight now will focus more on what's in the paper so far, Roe versus Wade. Um, certainly it's, it's hard to pin him down, what his views are on Roe versus Wade. 
And secondly, as I suggest, if if a Democratic um, operative asks me, I might look at to see what his to try to pry the lever of his views on immunizing a president from legal process. All right. Thanks so much, Harold. That was really insightful. And uh, your book is right on the money right now. Presidential Powers is the book. That's Harold Kent. He's dean at the Chicago Kent College of Law. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.